his mother and youngest sister waited. As he and the girl passed the final house along the way, the farm wife was in the side yard stringing laundry, with her arms full and her mouth agape with pins, and so was unable to wave or call greeting, but just watched them pass by. The neighbor boy grown war-hardened, and the green-eyed girl with her African body so lovely in the fall sunshine, her skin the color and luster of hand-rubbed heart pine. He was wounded twice. The first time was at Gettysburg, when the 2nd Vermont found the breach in the flank of Pickett's fated charge and waded in to turn the battle, charging across the field through the offal of dead and dying men and horses, the siren of battle at full crescendo. The second wound came almost two years later outside Richmond. The men they were pursuing had gained enough ground to turn their one field piece and fire off a final canister of grape shot. When the shell fell short, it sent something hard through the air, which struck Norman in the head, tore apart his left ear and left him unconscious and alone. Sometime during the night he woke, and still senseless, crawled off in the manner of a sick animal seeking better shelter in which to die. He slept some like that, and waking again, saw a girl beside him, her hands cupping a dipper gourd of water as she asked him, Is you dead? He lay there etching her against the pan of his brain. Still he could barely speak from pain, but felt he must or she would flee, thinking him dead or somehow dangerous, and so he said, I just need to lay here a bit. At full dusk he was awake again. She said, Another night here fever gonna carry you off. And when he was standing, his body pressed to hers. He asked her name and she paused. Her face turned away from him down into the folds of the blankets she carried. She said, Leah. He wanted to tell her she was prettier than her name. But the words were wrong, that, and he was still seeing her blackness, still thinking of her as the most beautiful colored girl he'd ever seen. In the dark, she brought him to a hidden dugout, shored with logs and shielded with a thicket of rhododendron. Inside, she made a fire with flint and steel. And in the light, they ate ham, and she brought more water up from the stream. The idea of sex bloomed in his mind and he moved a little away from her and took up one of the two blankets, leaving the most room he could for her by the fire and told her, You've been awful helpful. I just want to tell you that. Dawn tomorrow I'll get out of your hair and get on and find my regiment. She led him in a straight line up the side of the ravine and through the woods. Then she led him across a field until they looked down on the camp of the 2nd Vermont. He started forward and then turned back and said, Come on down with me. There's food. She shook her head. You go on, Mr. Norman Pelham. When his wounds were dressed and he was fed, he told his story, leaving out the part about the girl, and it was listened to, but only just. A rumor had come down late the night before from Appomattox Courthouse, and there was talk of going home. An hour after midnight, a horse clattered hard down the road, and the war was done for them. The next day, they passed through two towns as they made their way back toward Washington. Twice during the afternoon, he saw movement off the roadside, once behind a hedgerow, and once again farther off, and both times he wondered if he'd imagined it, or even why he might think it was her at all. They camped that night in a barn. After midnight, he was walking sentry, the Springfield loose alongside, 
He was watching his fellows and himself all at once when from behind him she said, Norman, don't you shoot me with that gun of yours. He turned slow and saw her, her eyes wide, her lips parted like the mouth of a bell. He took a step closer and said, War's over. I guess you heard that. She shrugged. You think that's gonna change a thing, Mr. Norman Pelham? Before he could respond, she reached out one hand and ran her fingers down his forearm, and he felt the flesh of his arm rise up to meet her. She was speaking not of her life or the lives of her people or even the people all around them, but of the sudden and irrevocable breach each had made in the other. And nothing said out yet in the air between them, nothing said to make it real, as if words could do such a thing. So he only asked, you get anything to eat today? Some folks shared what they had. She watching him now, as if seeing he'd...